Hello and welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Hello, COS supporters, and welcome back to another edition of COS Live. My name is Andrew Woodard. I'll be your host for this episode. And of course, I am joined by my co-host, Rita Peters, who is also the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs. Rita, how are you? I'm doing great. Just enjoying the beautiful fall temperatures here in Virginia. How are you, Andrew? I'm doing well. I'm enjoying a little reprieve from the heat here in the desert. I'm excited to get into the program. We are streaming right now live on Facebook, Twitter, and Rumble. Uh, Comment below. Let us know what state you are tuning in from. And while you're at it, uh, give us a rumble, a retweet, or a share Uh, We need to get the message out about this secret weapon within the Constitution. And of course, I am talking about an Article 5 Convention of States. Uh, Well, Convention of States has been making lots of news lately, and a popular podcast even had this to say that we are, are, quote, putting the uh, fear of God in D.C. politicians in honor of Halloween. Let's start thinking about other ways that we can put the fear of God in dc and the swamp i'm looking forward to what rita has to say about that we'll get to that a little bit later we also have our cos field reports uh with alicia in montana and of course we have our article 5 trivia trivia giveaway with cos vice president mike ruthenberg mike over to you thank you andrew thank you rita Boy, what a pleasure it is. I think this is episode 181, and that means we are 3.48 years approximately into this. Of course, we've had other hosts. The times have changed so much, but boy, our purpose and our mission certainly hasn't. I'm so honored to be a part of this show and to be able to help sharpen everybody's minds and get them going to have the kinds of engagement that we've had shows that what we're doing is hitting a nerve and it is relevant. And this show is going to be no different. You're going to be so excited as you watch this show. I can't wait to give you our question. And I guess one hint I can give you is that it might have some relevance to this show in case you need a little hint for the question later on. And maybe that won't mean anything to you. But what I do know is that my goal is not only to give you some great new information, insights about Article 5, about our mission, about our movement, but also to give away cool stuff from the store, from the COS store. And I'm wearing a shirt right now called the True American. And I love it. It's kind of modeled after the G.I. Joe logo, if you're wondering why it looks somewhat familiar. And I love to wear COS gear because people come up to me and they ask me all the time about what's going on. And of course, I have my favorite shirts This is one of them, and I'm going to give one away in your size if you're the one who answers the question right. That's the great news. The not-so-good news or the the secondary news is if you don't win and you want one, just go to shopconventionofstates.com, and you can get one. Shopconventionofstates.com on the web, and you can get a True American shirt. You can get whatever you want. But in the meantime, I'm going to ask the question, and... The question has to do with endorsements. You know, we have so many endorsers for the Convention of States Project. It dignifies so much what we do. And we have these great thinkers. We have elected officials. We have so many people that you trust, that you admire, 
that are endorsing convention of states, many of them as the only way, the only peaceful solution to a runaway federal government. So my question for today is, who was the very first elected official to endorse the Convention of States project? Who was the very first elected official to endorse the Convention of States project? And I'll be back at the end of the show to give you the answer to that. And hopefully you'll be enjoying this show until I return. Back to you, Andrew and Rita. Thanks, Mike. Well, before we get to the rest of today's program, we're going to jump over to our COS field reports. Alicia in Montana is going to share with you some scenes from an event that was hosted by local Convention of States volunteers. They partnered with uh, Article 5 scholar Robert Nadelson, and this is just one of a series of events that's been going on where they partnered with uh, Professor Robert Nadelson. They've been doing town halls all across Montana, and they've been drawing hundreds and hundreds of people. For more on this exciting uh, project, let's go over to Alicia. Hi, everybody. October 7th. Today is the day. We have a constitutional scholar and law professor Rob Nadelson joining us with Senator Tom McGilvray at the Solid Rock Bible Church in Great Falls, Montana. We will be discussing what an Article 5 convention is and how it can help us to save our beautiful nation, support this grassroots movement so that we can come together as a nation and support Convention of States. So. Tonight will be a topic of the three issues that we're going to be uh, proposing for amendments. So amendment number one would be to have term limits. I don't know who thinks that would be a good idea, but I think it would be a great idea. Uh, and not term limits in the, uh, in the meaning that we don't have term limits, but how about how many times somebody can run or the fiscal restraint. So I think it would be immensely uh, helpful for our future and our children to be able to um, not be swallowing in the debt that is being raised to them. Um, and then the last one is my favorite, is to reduce the governmental overreach. Recently, Convention of States has earned some huge uh, media mentions. Uh, we've been on local uh, news stations, we've been on local newspapers, but we've also been uh, hitting the airwaves on some pretty recognizable big names. We've been on Steve Dace's show uh, on the Blaze TV. We've earned mentions with, uh, with Hannity on Fox News, uh, Mark Levin's radio station, and recently Mark Meckler even sat down with Mike Huckabee on his show, The Huckabee Show, and he talked about Convention of States. Take a look. You are engaged in something called the Convention of the States. It has uh, a, a pretty significant goal. Uh, I think it's a great idea because it may be the only way we ever see reforms in this country. Explain to our audience what Convention of the States is, what it would do, and what reforms could happen, because Congress, I'm convinced, is never going to do it. <laughs> never. Well, first of all, you were the first endorser of Convention of States project, so thank you for being way ahead of the curve. What it is is using Article 5 of the Constitution to propose amendments 
to restrain federal tyranny. And the way it works is the states can call a convention when two thirds of the states agree on what the subject matter is of the convention. They can gather, they can propose those amendments. They have to be ratified by 38 states or three quarters of the states. And the three subject matter areas, one, imposing term limits on DC. And by the way, not just yeah. the politicians, but also the bureaucrats, the staffers, and the judiciary. Do you think that's, that's good, a right? good idea? Yeah. I love that. So second is anything that would impose fiscal restraints on the federal government. We're just watching them bust the budget right now. Right. Three trillion, five trillion, who knows how many trillion, right? So we can impose a balanced budget amendment on them, generally accepted accounting principles. We could limit taxes, limit spending. Again, about 85% of the American public are in favor of it. Congress will never do that stuff. They will never do it, but that's why it's so important that people are aware of it. I want you to learn more about Mark Meckler and the Convention of the States Action Project. Here's how you do it. Point your browser to conventionofstates.com. So for those of you watching, what amendments would you like to see at a convention of states to limit the power of the federal government? On a recent episode of his podcast, citizen journalist and political commentator Tim Poole discussed exactly that. On his list, amendments to shore up Second Amendment rights and limit the size and scope of federal law enforcement agencies. Here's podcaster Tim Poole. Take a listen. So I'll tell, you, I'll, I'll tell you what, we can do a lot of good with the Convention of States. I'd be really happy if we just had any one of these members of Congress to at least try to repeal some of these garbage laws. Uh, repeal the NFA and abolish the Department of Education. And, <laughs> and, and the ATF Smith, and the IRS. Well, yeah, let's reserve. <laughs> you guys are getting me uh, excited here. <laughs> like, watch out. Janet Yellen came out and said the IRS rule requiring banks to report, report all transactions over $600 is something that is worthwhile to do. She's defending that policy and saying we need to Dude, implement it. If we had a convention of states, I'd love to just see some wacky stuff. And I don't mean like overtly wacky, just like as soon as it's called, some guy goes, uh, Amendment 28, abolish the IRS. Here, here, and they all bang the Boom. gavel. Uh, Amendment 29, ATF next. You got it. Bang, bang, bang. But that's what would put the fear of God into them. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. FBI, see you later. God. Boom. You know, I mean, that's what we need to do. Because what we, we've, let's face it, there's no reason whatsoever that we should have. I think today, as we sit here, there are 144 federal law enforcement agencies. Bureau of Land Management has a law enforcement agency. Department of Education has one. Department of the Interior has one. It's, it's ludicrous. It is absolutely ludicrous. Federal Protective Service runs around and they guard federal buildings that have other law enforcement agencies in them that have their own uniform divisions that could guard the building. The, the amount of waste, the amount of oh, taxpayer yeah. money wasted yeah. on this, and it, it, look, the creation, it's, it was the creation of, of, a, of an authoritarian police state but it was also the normalization of it, right? People are so used to seeing so many different federal agencies that yeah. carry guns and badges and can lock you up and talk about the U.S. code, right? Every American wakes up in the morning and does something to violate some criminal statute in either the U.S. code, their state law, or county ordinance, everybody, even including like toddlers who get up in the morning. It's, it's ludicrous. And I think we need real reform in terms of repellation. Of bills, but you'll never see a bill repealed. Uh -huh. They should have sunset clauses written into them. Every bill. Every bill. 
Every bill. Recently, the government ran out of money. They were like, we don't have enough money. we got to raise the debt ceiling. How about you stop spending money you don't have? Yeah. I mean, why is that such a crazy idea? Oh, and the, we don't have and Republicans. Now McConnell's we don't have board. conservatives even arguing against that. And hold on. The Institute for Policy Studies literally came out that uh, the average day an American commits three felonies. Yeah. So wow. the, the U.S. government is an abusive significant other who is a deadbeat, doesn't work, Threatens you, you come home, smacks you around, and says, "Give me the money." You know I love you. Yeah, they only do it because they love you, Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The federal government loves you. I mean, what you heard that? I mean, Tim and his guests—they were bantering around what seemed like some crazy ideas, but a lot of what they are saying really is not crazy, and a lot of what they're saying is true. Especially about if we call a convention and then uh, it convenes, and then amendments are then ratified, the federal government is going to—it's going to put the fear of God in the federal government, because they're gonna always be looking over their shoulders wondering, when are the states going to get together again and call a convention to limit our power? Um, and Rita, this is exactly what we need, right? Absolutely. And Andrew, I'm glad you mentioned ratification because, and I know they're, you know, in some ways being facetious, but when you hear them say Amendment 28, abolish the IRS, boom, gaveled in, you know, they kind of make it sound like the convention is going to go and meet and actually make changes to the Constitution right then and there. And we know that's not how it actually happens. Um, they all, the amendments that are proposed by the convention, then go back to the states and have to be ratified by 38 states, which is a huge bar. So I don't think there's any chance that anything crazy um, or terribly extreme is going to get ratified. So I think that's important to say, first of all. Um, but as to your question, Yes, this is absolutely what we need to do, whether you describe it as putting the fear of God into the federal government or, you know, something else. We have to use all of the checks and balances that were created and designed and made part of our Constitution, because when we use some checks and balances um, and leave others just totally unused, the system is going to break down. It's not going to work properly. And the truth of the matter is the Article 5 Convention for Proposing Amendments is a check that the Founding Fathers gave to the states so that if the federal government became abusive or too powerful, the states could have a recourse. We know that's why the convention process was given to us. So you know, it's not actually all that strange to see what's happening today with this explosion of federal bureaucracy and all these federal programs and, yes, federal spending and debt, because we haven't used this powerful check on the federal government that was given to us in Article 5. Mm -hmm. and, and here's where I want to dig in, because a few of the guests on Tim's show, they talked about what you were saying, the federal agencies and the spending, the, the waste, the abuse, all the fraud. The federal government is involved in so much of our lives now, and it just it agitates the average American citizen because they feel they're so helpless and they can't do anything. And they see that these federal agencies just keep pushing and pushing their hands into their lives, controlling more and more of what we do. And it just feels like at this point, they're just completely interfering now. Um, and, it, and the federal government, though, at the same time, 
while they're interfering, interfering in our lives. They're not doing their basic constitutional enumerated powers and duties. Um, they're just, they're more focused on control instead of doing what the constitution says. Um, but you've had a little experience with this, with bureaucracies, and you've written about it in articles um, at the stream. And you recently had one where you talked about it. Could you uh, tell us about that article? Sure. Although it might be a little bit scary for any of you who are thinking about taking an international trip anytime soon, but I guess this is the lead up to Halloween, right? So we'll be a little bit scary. So what happened was my husband and I decided we wanted to take our six kids on a vacation to Mexico. So we started in plenty of time working on getting all the passports up to date. And for our youngest, it was his first passport. Um, so we, we sent in our applications in plenty of time. We even paid the extra money for the expedited service. We're supposed to have everything back in eight weeks at the most. Well, we didn't. It was beyond eight weeks, and um, my youngest son's passport was not here. Um, and, you know, this was frustrating because passports, okay, that is a function, a job that we actually need the federal government to do. That's not something that states can do on their own because it in involves federal borders and, you know, border control and taking care of U.S. citizens as such. So to try to make a long, a very long and stressful story somewhat shorter, um, I, you know, got a hold of the people at this National Passport Information Center. And what I found out from them was the passport document weren't even in D.C. I live in Virginia, so I, I was expecting everything was in D.C. Worst case scenario, I could drive um, to D.C., be there in person, and get everything taken care of. Well, no. First of all, I found out that all of the documents were in New Hampshire instead of being in D.C. Secondly, that the D.C. passport office had no appointments available. So even if they had the documents, that wouldn't have worked. And the New Hampshire office wasn't taking um, appointments either. So even if I had flown all the way to New Hampshire to take care of this, that wasn't a possibility. So what ended up happening was I got in touch with my congressman, Representative Ben Klein, who is great, and he put someone on his staff in charge of helping me with the case. She, after many, many attempts, finally got in touch with a live person at the New Hampshire office. And just a couple of days before our um, plane ticket, so a couple of days before we're supposed to be flying to Mexico, um, we found out from this lady in New Hampshire who worked for the passport um, center that the problem was they were over two weeks behind in opening mail. So she told my congressman's assistant that the passport application was undoubtedly sitting in a big pile of unopened mail somewhere. But because we were able to talk to her, she said, I will go personally find this application, process it right away, and get it in overnight mail tonight. She did so, and the story had a happy ending. We did get the passport in time. It was sent overnight, and we were able to go on our trip. But, you know, what a mess 
for a citizen to have to deal with all of that just to try to get something from the federal government that the federal government is supposed to be doing. And then to realize that Uncle Sam wants to do all the other things, like take care of our kids' education and take care of health care and manage the you know economy, even what's happening in individual states. It just doesn't make any sense. We need the government to focus on doing what it's actually supposed to be doing. And then maybe we can have a federal government that's competent at its core functions. And next, they want to control elections. They want the states to have no ability to control elections, and they want it all to be uh, centralized at the federal level. I mean, what could go wrong? I mean, there'll be ballots (laughs) that are stacked up three or four weeks old that they haven't even opened It's like you said, it's a mess and that no citizen should have to go through that. Uh, Rita, I want to ask, what do you think about some of the other ideas? You kind of briefly mentioned it about, you know, uh, how a a convention would operate. Amendment 28, abolish the IRS, done. You know, those seem kind of crazy and maybe they're kind of saying them mostly in jest. But you're a legislative attorney and you have your you've written extensively about it. You've been in front of um, in front of. in front of legislatures before you've testified. So, I mean, is is something like this possible for our resolution? Could we possibly abolish certain agencies of the federal government? Well, sure. Our resolution is for three topics, term limits, fiscal restraints, and limits on the power of the federal government. So any constitutional reform that falls under one of those three topics would be germane to a convention called pursuant to our resolution. And so far, 15 states have passed that resolution agreeing to those particular topics. So that's what's on the table. Um, Now, Poole's ideas about abolishing certain federal agencies and, and departments would be germane to the topic on limiting the size and scope and jurisdiction of the federal government. But keep in mind, it's really important, only amendment proposals that limit federal power can be considered. So nothing that could be interpreted in a way that somehow weakened the rights of the people Mm -hmm. is even open for conversation. I think that the most effective way to eliminate some of these organizations, and I absolutely agree, especially, you know, think about the Department of Education. There's no power for the federal government to have a Department of Education. It's just not in there. And no one can point out where it is because it's not there. So I think the most effective way to deal with this problem is to overturn the bad interpretations, including in some cases, Supreme Court decisions that have opened the door to these loopholes in the Constitution. I'll give you just a couple of examples. The General Welfare Clause. Um, We need to reverse the Supreme Court decisions from the 1930s that basically said Congress can spend money for anything at once. Well, that's a bad interpretation. That's not what the general welfare clause means. And I won't go into that now, but Professor Rob Nadelson has written a lot on that topic. So we need to, we need to fix that. We need to bring back the proper understanding of the limitations on federal power. The 
The other example I'll give is the interstate commerce clause. It only gave power to Congress over the movement of goods, interstate commerce, so commerce that's crossing state lines. It is incorrectly interpreted today by Congress to mean that Congress has power over anything that might enter the stream of commerce between the states. And, you know, it's just, it's completely out of bounds the way it's being interpreted today. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to get to core of those misunderstandings about certain constitutional language and powers that have been given to Congress and what they actually mean and what they don't mean. Mm -hmm. And I want to um, kind of spend a few moments on talking about the IRS, because in that pool video, uh, his guests talked a lot about the IRS. They mentioned how the IRS has gone after uh, certain groups based on their ideology. And now uh, the, the IRS might have the power in the future to go into personal bank records without a warrant, which is extremely troubling. And I just want to get your perspective on what do you think the founding fathers uh, what do you think the founding generation would think if an agency had this much power? I think they would be absolutely appalled. I think they would say that is tyranny. That is exactly the kind of thing that they, you know, wanted to escape from, um, you know, King George III. They didn't want um, a government that had that kind of power to intrude into their personal lives and, you know, dictate how they could um, earn their living and um, what they could buy or sell or, or how they had to do it. I, you know, I think they would be absolutely appalled just in general at um, how much liberty has been lost since the mm -hmm. founding of our nation. Mm hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking just just imagine a federal government that was actually small enough to fit with inside the Constitution so that it's more accountable and more responsive to the people. And you kind of mentioned this and you mentioned it in your article that when you actually work with a person individually, you're able to get things done um, and it makes it better. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the lessons that I learned from my experience in you know, my struggle in trying to get the passport. It's when I actually got to work with real human beings in a personal way, things tended to go well. It was when I was left at the mercy of a big system and red tape that things fell through the crack and didn't work efficiently and didn't make sense. And I think this is exactly why the founders intended for the vast majority of governing to happen at the local and state levels where it was closer to the people, accountable to the people. Now, we need a federal government to perform functions that individual states can't really do effectively, like issue passports, control the borders, you know. So we, I'm not talking about abolishing a federal government. The founders got it right. We need a federal government, but we need it to do the tasks that it was meant to do and given constitutional power to do. What we do not need is some kind of super legislature in Washington, D.C. that does all the same things the states do just on a bigger level, on a national level instead of a state level. It was never meant to be that way, but I think today that's more and more the way our system of government is looking, and it's just absolutely incorrect. 
And just this past week, there was a story about a uh, an immigrant who was who uh, sexually assaulted a woman on a Pennsylvania train. Uh, and you just touched on this a second ago, talked about immigration and how that should be something that the federal government uh, controls. Uh, is this kind of one of those functions that you were alluding to that the federal government absolutely needs to uh, to take precedence in? Absolutely. Immigration is a core federal function. And, you know, frankly, until Congress figures that out, until we get the immigration system fixed and get it working properly, leave my health care alone. Leave my kids' education alone. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. Focus on your real job and get it done. And Rita, we've talked extensively about Tim Pool's podcast and the guests that he had on there. And they talked a lot about convention of states and what's germane, or we've talked about what's germane under our resolution. Um, and it's just been a very fascinating conversation. We talked about term limits, fiscal responsibility. We talked about this, the jurisdiction of the federal government has primarily been what we talked about and what the federal government ought to do, what the federal government not uh, should not do. And I think it's been a very engaging conversation. We want to finish this off by just, you know, putting out a few other things that are thought-stirring that could provoke uh, more research and understanding of Article 5 and what Article 5 can be used for. Um, you know, if you haven't read Mark Levin's book, The Liberty Amendments, that is a great starting place. Uh, and it's really interesting story because his book and Convention of States, the organization, started the same exact year which is really fascinating. Like, it just seems like it was Providence that it's meant to be. You have Mark Levin, who's just a huge radio, just uh, giant, talking about this idea of a convention of states. And then you have an organization that's trying to call a, a convention um, on a grassroots level, starting this, the exact same time. Absolutely amazing. So that's a good starting place. You could also check out Milton Friedman's book, uh, Free to Choose. That's a, he's a, a historic economist. It's a great, um, gives you a great idea, a great grasp on, on uh, how uh, economics play into the American form of government. There are many other things that you could feed your mind that will help you to better grasp the, the role of the federal government versus the role of the state governments. Um, we will hopefully be able to have more discussions like this in the future. Maybe we can look at future or some episodes from other podcasts in the future and talk about uh, how a convention of states could solve these problems that these podcasters are talking about. Because like we say all the time, we are the solution as big as the problem. Well, we're going to jump over to our Article 5 answer with Mike Ruthenberg. Mike, over to you. so impressed by all of the press that we're getting, by all the attention we're getting because of what's happening. Sometimes it takes some pretty dire circumstances to make people lift up their heads, take a look and go, wow, I need to do something. And we have people coming in in unprecedented numbers that are doing that and saying that. And if you remember from the beginning of the show, I asked you as far as our question, our trivia question, who was the first elected official to endorse the Convention of States project. And I'm giving away one of these true American t-shirts from the store, shopconventionofstates.com. Of course, that's where you can go and get one if you're not the winner. But the question, who was the first elected official to endorse the Convention of States project, that I can say very proudly 
Arkansas governor, Mike Huckabee. He was the one. And of course, that was subject to the show. I gave a little hint today. If you haven't seen that clip, I would absolutely recommend you go to our YouTube channel, you go to Rumble, and you pick it up and you take a look because it's a great clip. And it shows just how important the Convention of States project is. They talk about some other things and then they go into Convention of States. So I would not miss that. But remember, Governor Huckabee's not the only one that has endorsed us. We remember Sarah Palin. She was a big endorser. She's on our website. You can see pictures of her there. Bobby Jindal, uh, Colonel Allen West, Ron DeSantis, Rand Paul, Ben Carson, Ben Shapiro, Jenna Ellis. There's actually been five presidential candidates that have endorsed the Convention of States project. That's a big deal because these are people that would be working to save our nation. So there we have it today. I hope you are the winner. If not, just go pick up your own shirt and hopefully you're starting the conversation and getting people on board to save our nation using the Constitution. Thanks very much. Back to you, Andrew and Rita. Thanks, Mike. Well, it is time for us to sign off. We do this show every week to reach, teach, and activate Americans with the empowerment that the Article 5 gives to them. It's amazing that the framers knew that we'd be in this situation. They knew that the federal government would run away. They knew they'd go beyond their authority, and they gave us an instrument to put them back in the box that they're supposed to be, to put them back in that constitutional box that they are supposed to be in. And it's through an Article 5 Convention of States. Millions of Americans have already signed the petition, and they are getting involved and trying to restore the republic. They've petitioned their legislators to say yes to COS. If you want to join them, if you want to make a difference as well, if you want to play your part in restoring the Republic, if you want to join one of these volunteers, these thousands of volunteers, then go to www.conventionofstates.com. Go there and take, go to the Take Action page. You'll see all the volunteer positions that are listed there. And we'll help you get involved. We will plug you in. We'll take your skills and we'll put you in the right place. We will use you to help uh, to help restore America's liberty. So again, go to www.conventionofstates.com, click on the Take Action page, and get started. And make sure you're staying in the loop by following us on Rumble, MeWe, Facebook, Twitter, Parlor, Instagram, and now TikTok. Listen to this program and other historic legacy content on our new podcast. Go to conventionofstate.com slash pod to learn more. And leave us a five-star review if you would, because that really helps our show to grow. Text the word START to 54555 to receive important calls to action from Convention of States. Check out the battle cry with the U.S. President. Mark Meckler, Sunday nights at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And we'll see you back here next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of COS Live. If you're looking for the person who is going to restore the Republic, don't wonder what somebody else is going to do. Ask, what will I do? This has been the podcast version of COS Live. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.